Welcome to Vista. Thanks for being with us. It's really our privilege to have uh, these opportunities to uh, connect in some way. Um, we're glad you're with us. I'm standing in front of a backdrop of artifacts that span about a hundred years. Uh, there are some books from the early 1900s. There are, is an electric train and, a, and an eight millimeter projector from the mid 1900s. There's some photographs from uh, actually very recent. If I were to spend some time with you and walk through those uh, objects and those artifacts, I could tell you stories about the uh, and the context of the seasons of those things. And those stories would have ups and downs, pain and uh, sorrow, victory and relief, twists and turns. You know, this pandemic that we find ourselves in will be history at some point. We're, we're going to get through it. It's, it's, it's not going to be soon, but we're going to get through it. And the question will be, did it matter? And for the Christian, what that means is, was God able to do what he um, wanted to do with you and with me? God, God's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in the world, but we have uh, a choice to make as to whether or not we're going to allow God to use whatever is going on in the world, whether he's orchestrated it or he's allowing it, it can work as part of God's plan in our life. And that's really the question. Uh, will this time matter? And will God have accomplished what he intended to accomplish in us in the midst of it all when we look back on it one day? I want to talk to you about uh, light today. Light. Like light in a dark place, how you can be light in a dark place, because this is really uh, the, the, this, is, this is the thing. If God's able to accomplish in you what he wants to accomplish in you, whenever that should happen to be, in good times or bad, if, he's, if you allow him to do that, you also become a light to the world and someone who's able to point more clearly to God himself. I want to talk to you about light. Uh, if you've got kids with you this, this morning, little ones, if you're, if you're here, kiddos, uh, I, I got something I want you to do. Um, if you've got a brother or sister you can do it together, or if you're with friends, or if you're by yourself, it doesn't matter. This can be accomplished with one or many of you. I need you to go get some flashlights. I need you to get some flashlights, you know, those, those little, little handheld things that, 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 that spray light out wherever you aim them. Um, now, here's the thing. They don't have to work, it, really. We can use our imagination. And if you can't find some flashlights, really anything that resembles a flashlight will work. Uh, something that you can stand on end uh, on the floor, like a cup or a bottle or... Um, a Pringles can, uh, really, and really anything that's sort of long and cylindrical will work. And get, get, get a half a dozen, six or seven of those. If you can find flashlights, great. Now, here's the thing. Don't 
ask your parents about this stuff. Don't, don't bother them while you're looking because they're going to have enough trouble focusing as it is. So you just go about your business searching for flashlights. If you can't find them, it's okay. Don't ask your parents where they are. Don't ask for batteries. Okay, none of that. I just need you to get seven things on your own, gather them up, and bring them back, okay? We're finishing up, uh, adults, we're finishing up uh, a series in John uh, chapters 15, 16, and 17. And I don't know if I'm going to be uh, using those chapters again next week or not. It's Easter. It's Easter next week. <laughs> I did. That, that is blowing my mind a little bit. It's Easter next week, and we're going to probably do it online. Online Easter service. Come back. It, it, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Okay, so I, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're, we're wrapping up really this time of... Uh, uh, the 40 days, this uh, Lenten season, we had no imagination as to what would come about. But here we are, and this week, uh, uh, as I finish, I'm actually going to go back to the beginning of John, the beginning of the book of John, and read to you the first few verses in the very first chapter of this wonderful gospel written by uh, a man who is maybe one of the closest friends and disciples of Jesus there were, ever was, and he, he lived the longest, as, as far as we know, of any of the disciples, 60 years beyond uh, Jesus, after Jesus was gone. And in his, in his old age, he wrote this wonderful gospel. Now, in the beginning of John, he uh, is referring to Jesus, but he calls him the Word. And, and so that you can get the full force of this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually insert the words Jesus where he has the word. So li listen to uh, my paraphrase of what John so eloquently said so many years ago. Listen, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Okay, so I'm going to change it. Right, here we go. In the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things have been made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind, all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The Bible talks a lot about light, a lot about light. You, you probably could fill in the blank in this phrase. Kids, if you're back, you might be able to do it too. Listen, at the beginning, Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created light, right? He says, he says, I created this. I did this. I want to tell you a little bit of story. Um, early stages of, of, uh, of, of the God people and, and his movement all through this moment where he uh, brings about this, um, really this beautiful picture of light. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a story. So anyway, there, there, there were these people, right? And they're happy to be out of trouble, trouble that, uh, you know, really their relatives got them into the middle of. Uh, and they were sick of it all, and they, and they were getting themselves out of trouble, and they were, they were willing to follow really anybody who would rescue them, who would uh, um, uh, protect them and provide for them. They pretty much had it up to here, um, building pyramids, probably. I'm, I'm talking about the ancient uh, uh, nation of, uh, of, of Jews that were taken prisoner by the Egyptian Empire, you know, circa 2500 
uh, probably 2000 to 1500 BC. It had been so terribly long since they were free, free to do what they would love to do, free to do what they want to do, free to do what they felt called to do. They were, they were prisoners. They were slaves. And although they had heard stories of how great God was, it was almost completely lost on them because it had been hundreds of years that they were in captivity, multiple generations. If, if there was a God, he seemed a million miles away to them until that God literally parted the seas so that they could walk right out of their oppression and into the promises of God. The whole thing is called the Exodus. Uh, you could say the exit. Uh, there's, there are multiple books uh, that cover this, this accounting. Uh, the, the, the primary one, of course, is called Exodus. But then you have uh, Leviticus and Numbers. And I'm going to use a couple verses for those. Just keep painting this picture for you. Right? They come out of, uh, they come out of um, captivity, and um, God gives them a promise. He says, I'm going to take you to a place uh, unlike, completely unlike Egypt, where I am the center of all things, and the way life is is the way I intend it to be. This is where I'm going to take you. Now, if they had, and it was a literal place, and, and if they had taken a direct route, from the time they left Egypt to this place that God was taking them, it would have taken like two weeks. But it didn't take two weeks. It took 40 years. 40 years. 40 years of ups and downs and twists and turns and valleys and mountains and joys and pains and victories and defeats. Some say they were wandering in the desert. It's often referred to as the wanderings. But you know what? They weren't wandering. They absolutely were not wandering. They had a visible representation of God in the form of a, a pillar, a, a pillar of cloud in the sky and a, and a pillar of fire in the sky by night. And that cloud, God himself, was leading them on this very circuitous route over a 40-year period to where he wanted them to be. He was leading them. They were following him. They weren't lost. They weren't wandering. Listen to how the, the author of the book of Numbers writes this little pet section. He says, sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. The tabernacle was a tent that they put in the middle of their encampment. And it was the place that was the most holy. It was where they, they, they considered God was, right? So that when the cloud was over the tabernacle of only a few days, at the Lord's command, they would encamp. And then at, the, at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening until morning. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whether the cloud lifted, they set out. When the cloud stayed, the tabernacle, two days or a month or a year, they never knew. They never knew how long it was going to stay. Can you imagine what that was like? You understand what that's like. We've just been, we've been in camp for two weeks and we don't know. We're already going crazy. Sometimes they would wait for a year before that thing would move and no idea when it was going to move. But if it didn't move, they didn't move. And if it moved, they moved. Whew. You've probably gone camping at some point in your life, right? You've been camping. How was it? What was it like for you, right? <laughs> Mixed reviews, for sure. Some love it, some hate it. 
It probably depends on how long you were camping, right? If you camped for a day, you did one overnight, or you have probably mostly good memories. You start going two or three days, it changes everything. Everyone's tired, all the drinks are warm, the food is soggy, and you're starting to fantasize about what it would be like to be clean, to take a shower, to wash your hair. <laughs> Imagine what it must have been like to be 40 camping for 40 years with a million plus, probably a couple million people. As you can imagine, they started bickering, they started grumbling, they started complaining, they started questioning God. This, this very God that they were compelled to follow, this very God who had split the sea, they had forgotten about all that. In fact, there were times where they just wanted to go back into slavery. They had completely lost their minds. And Moses, their leader, he doubted too. He did. His faith went up and down. But God would show up and remind them that he was God. And in this particular instance, the way God said it to Moses was like this. He said, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see, Moses, whether or not what I say will come true for you. God, God's saying, look, my arm is not too short. I'm here, and what I say is going to happen. When I promise something, you'll see. Your faith will be grown through this. You might be doubting, no, you might, now you might think my arm is too short, but wait, and you'll see, and your faith will be expanded, if you trust me. Because he made a promise. He made a promise that he was going to make a people out of this Jewish nation and he was going to give them a land. God was promising to be involved with them and not just to take them somewhere, but to do something with them. All of that wandering, all of that circuitous movement was God engaged with his people, making them his people, teaching them to hear his voice helping them to learn how to trust him in the midst of not knowing everything that was going on. This is what God was doing. This is what God is always doing. He's building a relationship with his children. That's God. Hey, kids, did, uh, hopefully you got some things that seem like flashlights, and maybe they are flashlights, things that you can stand up. Now I need you to go get something that reminds you of God. Something that reminds you of God. Don't be picky. Don't be judgmental. Don't, don't overthink it. Um, just get something that reminds you of God. It could be a rock because you know God is strong. It could be Plato because you know that God is, is always changing us into what he wants us to be. It could be a box because you kind of know God, but there's a lot of stuff inside of God that you can't see or you don't know. Maybe it's a Bible, maybe a, maybe a book, maybe a, a picture of something that you've always enjoyed. Maybe a treasure chest, <laughs> maybe you have a treasure chest laying around the house. Uh, a basketball would work if you imagine that God made the world, right? Just something. It doesn't really matter. Just get some object. You can each get one, um, however many you are. And, and so go find, leave your, leave your sort of semi-flashlights and then go get something that reminds you of God. 
God interjects and he says, is my arm too short? You question whether what I say is going to happen is going to happen. And isn't this just the way it always is? Not, Not just now in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this terrible mess, but all the time, really. Right? We, 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 we forget what God's done in the past. We don't see God as clearly as we would like all the time. The world around us would seem to indicate that, that, that God isn't around or that he doesn't care or he's not powerful enough. Right? And, and, and so our faith ebbs and flows. And then he shows up in glimpses and in bursts that are enough to to continue to fuel our faith. But by and large, we're like the Israelites. We question God. We go up and down. Our experience isn't always what we want it to be. But God declares here and throughout Scripture and probably in your life in some way that he exists and he's present. God says to Moses, what do you think? My arms are too short. You don't think I can reach into the very creation I created? You think you can drift so far away from me that I can't reach you? That's crazy. You're never out of my reach. Nothing is ever out of my control. Nothing. I'm not some mute, passive, impotent being. I am the God. I'm in charge. I'm in control. And I love you, by the way. This is God talking. I'm putting words in his mouth. It's it's your job, God says, to trust me, not to try to figure me all out. You couldn't figure me out even if I told you everything you wanted to know. Even if I did everything you wanted me to do, you still wouldn't have me completely figured out. You'd still have to trust me. Your job is to trust me. You know, for the Christian, that's really the biggest struggle of life, even in the midst of something like this pandemic. It's not, it's not the pandemic itself that is our greatest struggle, for the Christian, anyway. Your, your impatience is not your greatest struggle. Your resources are not your greatest struggle. Your lack of resources is not your greatest struggle. Getting through the changes and, and, and reestablishing some routines is not your greatest struggle. Homeschooling for the first time is not your greatest struggle. It's a big one, but it's not your greatest struggle. Even your unemployment is not your greatest struggle. It's, uh, or, or even the threat. Even your physical well-being or your survival is not the Christian's Greatest struggle. It's the non-Christian's greatest struggle. That's all there is, is getting through problems like that. That's it. And if you can't get through them, then you're discouraged and depressed and suicidal. That's not, these things are not the Christian's greatest struggle. The Christian's greatest struggle in life is to trust the God that they've put their confidence in. The Christian's greatest struggle in life, no matter how hard life gets, and even more so when life gets hard, is to trust God in the struggle. And the reward for that, on the other side of that challenge is a deeper experience of the presence of God. 
When we trust him in the middle of spaces where it's very hard to trust him, in those spaces in particular, we end up with a deeper understanding of who he is and a deeper experience of him in our life. The reward of the Christian struggle is the presence of God. The reward isn't to get what you want or even to arrive where you want to arrive. It's closeness to God that comes as a reward for those who struggle to know him and to find him. The reward is to become a part of what he's up to and what he's doing. And that's what God is up to, if you want to know, is always up to. Just like with the Israelites. He's making his followers into his people. And he's building a relationship. And he's helping them understand how to do this life. That's basically it. Okay, kids, so now get your lights and get your God thing and, and put, put all the God stuff like right in the center somewhere. You don't have to stack it up. Just pile it together. That's, that's, that's the God thing. Now, now put your lights, if they're lights or stuff, if they're stuff, around that God thing and just aim them up the air. If, they, if, if they're flashlights, turn them on. Put them right near that God thing, each one of those little lights. That's the picture. That's the picture we're headed for. This is, this is what life is to, is, is to be. I don't want to judge here, but it's like your house, we're just going to say this, for example, is the chaos of the world, right? It's the context. Now, the hope is that in the midst of all that, there is God. And then close to God is us. Again, in the midst of all this stuff, being lit by God and lighting the world. Listen to this. <laughs> Moses and the people of God and the Israel, they're coming in, and God does this big thing. He brings them to this mountain called Mount Sinai, and he delivers the Ten Commandments. He, he, again, he's, he's helping them understand, this is how I want you to live. Live like this and you'll experience me. You'll love one another. You'll, you'll, you'll do better as a people. He talks to them about basic stuff in life, like how to handle uh, personal injury between one another, how to, how to settle property disputes, what it means to be socially responsible, what it means to have mercy. He teaches us to be sacrificial. He, he asks the people of, of, of uh, the Jewish nation to, to offer sacrifices uh, uh, to him, offerings. And we still do that today. Well, we do when we're together, right? We, we, we pass a basket and, and, we, and we make offerings to God. We show our faith to him by giving. <laughs> Can I just stop and, and express my gratitude for your continued giving the church is in the midst of really a, an incredible time where the, 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 the needs have risen to a crisis level. And churches across the nation and around the world are leaning into those needs. I want you to know that the, 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 the contributions that you make are, are even, even as we speak, being redirected to the critical needs within the church and beyond the church. Thankful for your giving. Please do. I actually, we actually send an email every. You've probably seen it every Monday. It's called the basket. I hope you take advantage of that. There's a number of things you can do with that email in addition to giving. 
that's critical for who we are and where we are and what we're doing. But you can, you can submit prayer requests, and this is critical too. You can highlight needs that you're seeing that are difficult or if possible for you to meet on your own and you need some way to rally people or it's going to require some sort of coordination. You can highlight those needs. We're, we're documenting those and looking for ways to lean into this stuff together. But it all happens. Uh, the staff continues to, to work and the church continues to go and uh, really on your uh, generosity. So thank you. He also talked about how to set up Church celebrations. These are the things God, God is teaching his people. Like Easter. Like Easter, right? We, we have this celebration coming up in a week. It's going to be so different in some very profoundly good ways. I don't know if you've thought about this. As a church, every, every Christian church is hopeful that people would come around on Easter to hear the good news, to hear the gospel message, to be encouraged about the presence of God and the way that he's made for them to be with him. But it's hard to go to church. It is. It's hard to go somewhere where you're unfamiliar, people that you don't know. Worry about, do you know how to dress, how to talk, how to interact, where to go? Will you feel stupid? Will you feel, they ask you, it's very hard. Do you realize how easy it is going to be for people to come to Easter service next week? They can literally just turn it on in their pajamas whenever they want. Church, do not miss this opportunity. You should be inviting dozens of people because it's going to be so easy for them. If they don't like it, they can turn it off in 10 seconds. If they do, they might hear something life-changing. And believe me, people are ready to hear something life-changing. Church, invite, 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 invite. It's going to be so easy this year. And then God does all that stuff, and he, and he talks to them about, and he helps them. He wants them to make a golden box, and he wants them to, this is the Ark of the Covenant. He wants, and he makes a light, a lamp stand. He creates a church pavilion, like a, like a church tent, and a, and a park, a courtyard around it. He, he's building his way of doing things. And then he stipulates, and this is really cool, he stipulates a way to keep these lamps burning. Listen to this. This is in Exodus 27. It's a cool moment of light in God's story. He says, Moses, command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so the lamps may be kept burning. He goes on and says, Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening till morning. This is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites for the generations to come. Day and night. That's how the flames around the presence of God were to burn. The, the presence of God in the form of this Ark of the Covenant where, they, that, where, where God said he was going to live for a while. That's what, that, so that's what the Israelites understood. And these flames were around that presence of the light in this holy place Seven lamps on a golden lampstand, each filled with oil, 
by priests who were constantly on call to keep them filled and lit, that they would glow continually without fail. Light is a big deal to God all through the Bible. He created it in the beginning. Jerusalem, the, 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 the hub of, 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 of Jewish God worship, was called a light on a hill. Jesus was referred to as uh, the light of the world. Both the Word of God and the Spirit of God are referred to as lights for our path. And then Jesus, the light of the world, referred to his disciples, his followers, that, that would be Christians, as the light of the world. Did you catch that? The one that John referred to as the light of the world is saying that his disciples are the light of the world. Kids, you, 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 you have done a great job making this picture for us. The chaotic world, God in the middle, those that are following and trusting him lit up around him. What we have right here in the Old Testament, in this Exodus story, in the middle of this 40-year road trip camp out, is foreshadowing the things to come. Foreshadowing the experiences that we're having right now. Right? Think about it. A long difficulty. The presence of God. An opportunity to shine. And a promise. the same. We live in the same world. Lots of the same problems, but for Christians, the same challenges. To trust in the presence of God, to know He's there, to shine, and to live according to a promise. Well, let me ask you this. How do you know that God is present, right? We have a hard time seeing Him, but there's a very clear uh, way that you can know that God is present. Pruning. It's a weird word. Pruning. Um, we find it throughout the Bible because they were an agrarian culture and they pruned things. Jesus used it symbolically in John chapter 15 where we started this study. He said, I'm the, I'm the vine and my father is the gardener. Right? Again, you see this togetherness. God is a gardener, and Jesus is a vine, and he says that we're the branches. And he cuts off every branch that doesn't bear fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, prunes, and prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I'll interject, God is the gardener. And he says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but it includes pruning. If you're being pruned, God is present. That's what he does. He's the gardener. You can try to change yourself in this lifetime, and it's really, really difficult. It's hard to do. Almost impossible. Not for God. He changes people. 
If you're being pruned, if you're going through hard times, if you feel like thing, you're being cut back, you're feeling you're going through loss, and you are, it's not just a feeling, God's probably up to something. You know, it's been said that God first brought his people out of Egypt, but then needed to take Egypt out of his people. Isn't that what's happening to us? Interesting, isn't it? Whether you believe in God or not, in this world right now, people are becoming more aligned with God because they don't have any choice. The stuff that we tend to look to for our happiness and our joy and, and our, uh, our excitement and, uh, and that we look to to escape, that we look to to, to bring us substance and significance and purpose, it's, it's, it's all gone away. It's going away. Well, if the things that take the place of God go away, you are closer to God. God's bringing the whole world closer to him. Pretty much everyone is realizing that we can somehow go on living without sports teams, without retail shopping, without constantly running around everywhere. We're becoming reacquainted with the fact that life can be enjoyed even if it's not being uh, revolved around kids' activities. We're being reminded that, that simplicity is sometimes very rewarding, very meaningful to the soul. God has leveraged his way into this pandemic and is making everyone a bit more like him. Whether you're a Christian or not, it's phenomenal. And that's the evidence of the presence of God. Pruning. Pruning. Pain is sometimes the evidence of God. You know, it's... it's um, um, Palm Sunday. It's this wonderful moment when the world, as we knew it, was celebrating Jesus. They recognized him for who he was. And Jesus rode into this uh, arena, um, and there were uh, palm branches being laid down for him. It was representative of him being a king. And Jesus was, was, was riding this colt into town, and and, and, and rightfully receiving the adoration that, that should have been his. And you know what, what was going through his mind? This is going to end painfully. He knew he was going to suffer. You can pretend that Christianity or God, uh, the God world, the God, the, 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 the God-centered universe doesn't involve pain and suffering, but it does. It does. But God repurposes it. God can manipulate it and, and turn that pain, that difficulty, and those ashes at times into something amazing, something good. If God's pruning, it helps you know he's there. Uh, so that's how, that's, that's how, that's how we um, know he's present. How do we shine? How do we shine? Well, we got this picture where, where there's this oil, and this oil allows for these lamps to be lit. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit was referred to as the oil of God. The Holy Spirit, we know, enlightens our path. It shows us where we are uh, out of alignment with God. It shows us our sinfulness, right? The Holy Spirit is a light to you. Oil 
is what brings about the light, what brings about change. We shine when we change because of God's pruning. When you vulnerably allow God to show you what you need to change and then humbly allow it and lean into it and trust Him in the process, you light up. You end up pointing to God. Because people know what's changing in you isn't you. Don't waste this time. It's going to be history one day. And you're going to look back at it. And the question is going to be, did we allow God to use it in our own life? Let God change you. That's how you strive. That's how you shine. Strive to keep changing throughout it and after it, no matter what. And see it all as good and be grateful to God. Trust Him. And you'll be able to shine. You'll be able to live like a messenger of what God can do with a life entrusted to and yielded to Him. You can be a light to the world that God is real and can be trusted. Our shining is in the trusting and the changing. God's presence is in the pruning. Our shining is in the trusting and the changing. What's the promise? Well, for us, the promised land is heaven. But the doorway isn't an escape through split seas. It's forgiveness from the prison and the oppression of sin and inadequacy. It's not done through the splitting of the seas. It was done through the splitting of God's Son, Jesus. And so those with our faith in Jesus really have already arrived, in a sense, at the promise of God. Not completely, but in part. Heaven, eventually, will be the place where it's all put back together. But Jesus is already putting us back together, already reconciling us to God. That's the promise, and we get to live in that. Our promise is heaven in Jesus in part now, soon, fully. Our job as Christians isn't to explain why things are the way they are, but we're responsible, well, we are responsible to find God in it, to grieve what's sad, but all along trust Him, as always, to do the unimaginable, even the unexplainable, in the midst of the chaos. You do that, you'll know his presence like never before, and you'll be a light to a world that needs light very much right now. Thanks again for being with us.